listening to the Long Hollow Young Adults Podcast. We are the Young Adults Ministry at Long Hollow Church, located in Hendersonville, Tennessee. If you are interested in learning more about us or looking to attend one of our gatherings, you can follow us on Instagram at LHYoungAdults or visit longhollow.com for more information. And now, a message from our Young Adults Pastor, Dylan Young. Man, hey, this is our first time doing just a regular worship gathering like since before Thanksgiving. So I'm excited to be back in a rhythm with you guys and um, back just in this routine of worshiping together and and growing in community. Um, And tonight as we begin a whole new year, a whole new semester, um, we are going to walk through the book of James. And I say the word walk intentionally because we're probably gonna go through this thing pretty slowly. Uh, we wanna make sure we don't rush through it and miss anything that God has for us in it. Um, Connor and Carrie have been laughing at me because when I first started thinking about this message, I was gonna do chapter one, the first 18 verses, plus a little bit of chapter three, because it was kind of saying some same stuff. And then I was like, ah, I can't think I can't do chapter three too. I'm just gonna do verses one through 18. And then yesterday I was like, y'all, I'm only gonna be able to do one through four. So tonight, what we're gonna do is verses one and two. Um, It has continued to get shorter and shorter what we're gonna cover. I hope that's okay with you guys. We're gonna try to go as in depth as we possibly can on this book, hopefully learn some, just some good Bible reading principles as we go. Um, And we're gonna glean hopefully a lot of wisdom um, as Paul writes to the first century believers. So let me read the first couple of verses to you of the book of James chapter one, verses one and two. It says this, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes dispersed abroad, greetings. And the first thing he tells them to do is to consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials. Let me pray for us as we begin. Lord, we are so grateful for you using a man like James to write a book to the people of his time that still speaks to us today. So Lord, we read your word and as we study it, would you open our eyes so that we might see wondrous things in it? And would you help me to speak simply and clearly? And Lord, we trust you to speak to us through your word tonight. We pray all of it in Jesus' name, amen. So as we begin this book, we want to make sure we know who this guy is that wrote it, who he's writing to, all the background type information before we go through this whole book for, for a while. Um, so the first thing I wanna do is just look at that first verse where James introduces himself and he talks about the people that he's writing to. So if you look back at it, it just says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he's writing to the 12 tribes dispersed abroad. So who is his audience? Who is it that he's writing to? Um, He's writing to believers here in the first century who have been scattered. It says they were dispersed. So these are people who were followers of Jesus who were in Jerusalem and now through various levels of persecution, they've been scattered throughout. They're not living in Israel anymore. Um, So when he says the 12 tribes too, that's that's an idea of like all the tribes, right? There are only 12 of them. He's writing to all believers. So this is a this letter has a broad audience to it. He's writing to everybody who's trying to follow Jesus, wherever you are scattered throughout the land. This is for you. Um, and, and the people, if you think about the situation they're in, like they're not in Israel anymore. Israel's all they've known. They're trying to figure out, man, what does life look like all of a sudden 
Now that I mean, we're not in our comfort zone, like we're not at home where we used to be. How do we, how do we continue to follow Jesus in a whole new place, a whole new setting with a whole new group of people all around us? So that's what they're trying to figure out. Like life is difficult, it's confusing for them at the time James is writing this to them. And the letter itself, so James write this letter to be dispersed to the people. It was written approximately 45 BC. So not real long after Jesus has risen from the dead and ascended to heaven, there's just a little bit of time in between there. So it makes this an interesting letter. We have Acts in this book of James kind of as our first insights into Christian thought after Jesus had left the scene, right? So that makes this book, uh, gives it a little bit of particular interest to us. Um, and how does James construct this letter? So we can really view this book more or less as a, as a New Testament version of wisdom literature. It doesn't appear like there's one particular issue he's addressing. He gives a host of different uh, bits of inspiration, of uh, information and instruction as we go throughout this letter. It's not, doesn't necessarily follow one streamlined thought process through the whole thing. He's addressing several different issues, essentially answering the question, helping them answer the question, how shall we then live? Which is the question that people have been trying to answer for all of time. So he's helping them figure out what does this look like to live now that we are out of our comfort zone. Um, and that is, that's in large part why I want to study this book with you. We talked about a few different New Testament letters to, to walk through and landed on this because he's trying to help them figure out just what we've been talking about. How do I live now? Like, it's a little bit like the situation all of you find yourselves in where you have um, probably, maybe most of you, maybe some not, moved out of your home. Uh, you, you're, you're in a new situation where, man, you're, you move way on beyond high school. Like you're trying to figure out life as an adult, right? You don't just have the comforts of home. You're having to be responsible now. Figure out like, man, how do I actually go live this life on my own? And, and that is how I view my job as your pastor in large part. It's me not necessarily telling you what to do, but trying to help you learn how to think, how to take principles that we see in scripture that were written to first century believers. How do we take those same principles and bring them into the 21st century? That's, that's what I want to help you do. And our, our staff a few years ago went through this whole process of trying to just learn about ourselves. And at the end of it, we came out with two words to describe ourselves. And the two that I came up with, this was before this type of ministry was even on the, on the radar for me. The two words I ended up with were developing maturity. That's what I love to do. I mean, that's, that's a huge reason why we choose a book like James. Like I'm trying to develop in you a maturity and how to follow Jesus as you're doing it on your own now. You're out in the real world doing it. And that's a lot of what James is going to give to us. He gives us 54 different imperatives throughout the book, which are just literally like, do this, don't do this statements. So we can look at those statements and, and if we're gonna be good Bible readers, we, we ought to look at those statements. We're, we're not in the first century, right? But we can look at his do this, don't do this statements and say, okay, what is it that he's trying to address here? What is the question he's trying to respond to? What's the situation he sees in these first century believers that I need to address, that I need to speak into? And we could probably see a lot of the same things that we experience today um, if we were to think about what is it that James is trying to address? Why did he think it important to bring up this particular topic? Um, you'll notice too that James's letter, it's closely tied to the Sermon on the Mount. So 
I would be, it would be a really good suggestion for you to, as we go through James over the next few months, read through the Sermon on the Mount several times. It's Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Won't take you long to read. Get real familiar with this, and you're going to start to see a lot of it throughout the book of James. Um, and you could say that the overarching theme of the book, I think James is trying to get um, his readers to believe and embrace the fact that obedience to God is the, the like actual tangible obedience. God says we should do this. Okay, I'm going to do that. That should be the natural result of your faith in Jesus. Like obedience isn't an optional thing. It's not that we get salvation through Jesus and live how we want. No, obedience and living a, a life that honors Jesus should be the natural result of putting your faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. So that's the book, that's the audience. Who is James? That's an important thing that we need to understand as we go into this book, because first off, he's the half-brother of Jesus, right? Um, and maybe you knew that already. I hope that's something that you knew. Half-brother, of course, because Joseph and Mary are both his biological parents. Only Mary was Jesus's biological parent, right? So half-brother, that's an important fact we'll come back to in a second. Um, there are other Jameses that could have possibly written this letter, but as I've looked into that, I, I haven't found any of those arguments compelling. I, I don't think there's any reason to believe this wasn't James, the brother of Jesus, um, James himself was killed approximately 62 BC. It was persecution. They, they killed him for his faith in Jesus. As we think about the setting he was in, we see Peter, Paul, and John also as prominent figures of the church at that time. But who is the leader of the church in Jerusalem? It's James. Who do we see chairing, if you will, the Jerusalem council? It's James. Those are big deals. Like considering you've got Peter and Paul and John who are also options there, it's a big deal that he was chosen for such influential positions. And back to James being Jesus's brother. We, it's noted in John 7 that Jesus's brothers did not believe in him. That should, that should catch us off guard a little bit. Jesus's brothers didn't believe, well, is it really that far-fetched? Like, you know your siblings better than anybody, right? Probably in some ways better than your parents. How hard would it be for you to say, yeah, my brother, he's the son of God? It probably would have taken more than for the average person, for, for your brother to believe that, right? So James, for some reason, he was not going along with what Jesus had to offer. But there's an important detail that you could gloss over if you're not paying attention in 1 Corinthians 15, make, it, make a note of this if you're taking notes. 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse three, Paul's talking about a few different things that happened right after Jesus's resurrection. Here's what Paul says, 1 Corinthians 15, starting in, in verse three. For I passed on to you as most important what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and then he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, then to the 12. Then he appeared to over 500 brothers and sisters at one time. Most of them are still alive, but some has fallen asleep. So he's just saying here, hey, Jesus was resurrected. There are a lot of people that saw it and can vouch for it. They're still alive, go talk to him. Verse seven though, he says, then Jesus appeared to James and then to all the apostles. So Jesus makes a special appearance to his brother, James. That was, that was a situation that was singled out there in 1 Corinthians. And we, we see that as the moment where James began to believe in 
Jesus. And I think there's something we can learn from that, that our faith in Jesus is supernatural. Like this is not just a reasoned faith or just an emotional faith. It is those things. But yeah, faith in the God of the universe, it's a supernatural thing. And I think whenever James saw Jesus risen from the dead, like he knows Jesus, right? He saw he was dead. And when he saw him risen from the dead, he knew, man, this is something only God could have done. He knew he was encountering the supernatural when he saw Jesus and he couldn't push it off anymore. And so I wonder if maybe some of you are sitting here tonight just a few minutes into looking at the book of James and maybe that's exactly where you are with Jesus. And I would encourage you, man, don't worry about anything else that's said tonight. Like if that's where, if you're on the fence about following Jesus, would you ask him right now, would you ask him to make an appearance to you, to reveal himself to you in this moment, to, to do that in a supernatural way that you can't push off any longer and consider beginning tonight to follow him with the rest of your life. That's, that's my prayer as we look through this book is that we would see a man like James who for a long time didn't believe in any of this and he encounters the risen Jesus and believes in the supernatural. Somebody needs to do that tonight. As we're just a few minutes into this book and we see James becomes a disciple of Jesus and his life is forever changed. And he actually has a, a reputation. Um, and one of the, that's, his reputation is one of the ways we can have some confidence that this is the James who wrote this book. And y'all, I promise we're getting to the meat in just a second. Um, he makes no introduction of himself. All he says about himself is James, servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, if he was some other James that like needed an introduction, probably would have had something else there to make sure you knew which James it was. I think that tells us, man, people know when they got this letter from James, they knew which James they were talking about because he had two nicknames. James had two nicknames that he was known by. One of them was this word, Hatzadik, which just means righteous. So he was James the righteous. And I don't know about you, nobody's going around referring to me that way. Like James must have lived a truly righteous life in order for people to refer to him that way. That's how they distinguished him from the other Jameses around town. No, no, that's James, the one who lives a righteous life, right? His second nickname, this one's a little more colorful. His other nickname was Camel Knees. Now that's probably not a nickname you would be like real excited about, right? It doesn't like roll, it, there's nothing, it doesn't roll off the tongue. It's not pretty. There's nothing to that nickname, right? How did he come up with that? Well, people knew he spent so much time in the temple praying. Like they, they knew, man, that's the place Jesus, James is gonna be, is on his knees in the temple praying to God on behalf of the people. He had such a reputation and, and such a, that was the reality of his life that it said that literally the skin of his knees were calloused and worn out like the knees of a camel. So people started to refer to him that way. Why am I telling you all this stuff about James? Well, man, what's your nickname? Like if people had to fill in the blank after your name, what would it be? Dylan the what? Would it be the gossip? Would it be the slacker? Would it be the flaky? Would it be the prayer? Well, what do you think people would fill in that blank with about your life? And then maybe a second question, what would you want it to be? 
what would you want people to fill in that blank with about you? And maybe if those two answers are different things, man, let's do something about it. Let's, let's look at this book of James and let God speak to us through it. And whatever, whatever needs to change to get to where our reputation is, <laughs> man, that person lives a righteous life. And let's be willing to do it. Let's be willing to do that over these next few months to develop a reputation where the people that you work with, the people you're in school with, the people that you're around all the time, they would know, man, that person follows Jesus. It's just evident from the way they live. That's why we want to get to know James, because, man, just the way he lived his life can challenge us. But let's start to get into the meat of what he has to say. One whole verse, right? And we're going to go, as we start to this book, over this week and next week, we're going to look at these first four verses where James is trying to get us to a place where we don't waste our trials. That's the, that's the message he's trying to get across to us in these first few verses. Don't waste your trials. And he gives us a couple of different truths about trials, about difficulty in your life. And the first one that he, that he brings to our attention is that, man, trials are guaranteed. Difficulty is inevitable, right? Your trials are guaranteed. And look back at verse two with me. He says, consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials. So if we look at that sentence a little bit backwards, start out with that whenever. You don't have to be any kind of scholar to figure out this isn't coded language or anything. He's saying when trials come, because they are coming. It's not an if or win situation, it's a win. And you know that already because you've lived life, right? Tough stuff comes up. And, and what I don't want you to believe in is that, man, when you start following Jesus, that gives you like this immunity to life because it doesn't. It doesn't make you immune to any particular situation. It gives you ways to, to deal with life and to move through it in a way that honors God, but it doesn't make you immune from any kind of struggle. And that's the, like, don't believe that lie to begin. If somebody's sold that to you, I want you to just consider our leader, right? Jesus, if I could make an infinite understatement, Jesus was the best of us, yet he experienced the worst this world has to offer. You being a follower of Jesus does not make you immune from any kind of struggle. Know that on the front end, if you've thought that maybe this was a karma type deal where, man, I follow Jesus, Jesus makes good deals with me to make my life easy. Because that's not at all what he promises. So we know trials, we know difficulties are coming and we can look at it from a couple of different perspectives. And it says we want to consider this. We wanna consider our trials. And in order to consider something, like you have to actually stop and think about it. Stop and think about it. Slow down. And I'm, y'all, I'm going to beat that drum until I'm out of here someday. Slow down. Oh my goodness, the world wants you to speed up all the time. Don't let it do that to you. Slow down and consider what God might be trying to do to you, th- through you, through this trial that you find yourself in. And as we consider it, let, let's think about a couple of different perspectives we can take when it comes to suffering, because you, you have a choice in this matter in some different ways. So maybe if you, uh, you're not a follower of Jesus right now, I, I would consider you to think about, um, I would encourage you to think about what is your mechanism for dealing with struggle? Because a lot of ways in a secular worldview, you don't really have a category for difficulty, right? Like if you're, 
If, you, if you're not believing in something outside of yourself, if you're not believing in a God who, who is outside of this world and in control of it, and what do you do with, with struggle? Like, how do you deal with that? Uh, you don't have much of a mechanism to do that because think about it. If you, you see a lot of times people, uh, again, not trying to pick on any particular ideas, but this, you'll see people try to manifest things, right? That, like, that's a buzzword. We're manifesting things. Well, nobody's trying to manifest trials in their life. And nobody's trying to make difficult stuff happen in their life, but it happens, right? It comes up. So there has to be some kind of flaw in that way of thinking. Think about it this way. If you have built your life on finances or your job or your health, whatever you want to build your life on in this life, man, it can be taken away. You've built your life on shaky ground. If it's any of those things, they, they can't, like we view, we view those, those type things. We view difficulties as interruptions in our life. But man, if, you, if you've built your life around your finances, around your job, well, dude, if you lose your job, what you got? Like th- if this world is it, your job can be taken away from you. Your finances can be ruined. Like you gotta have something other than just this world. Because man, this doesn't last. It can all be taken away from you. You've got to have something that transcends this life. Man, it's Jesus. That, that's... <laughs> That's the answer to it all. James tells us there's got to be a better way, right? There's got to be a way to find joy even in the difficult situations in life. And he gives us the solution here. Now, I wanna be clear. He's not telling us to enjoy our difficult situations. Like, please don't hear me saying, man, just be happy all the time no matter what's going on. Just, it's, it's not that bad. That's not what I'm saying. I don't think that's what James is saying. You know, there's tough stuff comes up. And I know some of your stories in the room right now, and it's tough stuff and it hurts and it's hard. And I don't mean to diminish any of that, but as a follower of Jesus, there is always joy to be found, even in the most difficult of situations. And you can, like I said, you have an option when you're in the middle of a trial. You can choose to just blame God and complain and, and take that route and live in that headspace. And you can waste it. You can waste it. And you can get to the other side of a trial and learn nothing, gain nothing, or you can choose to see what God wants to do in and through you, through your trial, um, and, and believe that God has something he wants to use it for. And I, I've had this thought in my head in a while. I think this is the, the place to say it. This is not coming from any particular verse or anything like that, but I think it's true of God that he is more concerned with your growth as a disciple of his. He is more concerned with that than he is with your comfort. Like he is willing to allow difficult things into your life if it's gonna bring you closer to him and make you live a life that honors him more. He will, he's more concerned with your growth and development as a disciple than he is with your comfort. And I think we need to believe that. I think a lot of times we, again, we can almost buy into, unintentionally buy into this karma idea of following God, like, man, good stuff's gonna happen, but that's, that's just not how it works. God is more concerned with you being shaped and molded into the image of his son. He's more concerned with that than he is with giving you an easy life. And that's, I don't know how that hits you. Maybe that's an uncomfortable thing for you to think about God, but I think it's true. And I think it's something that we need to to wrestle with and and come to terms with even. Um, So 
Maybe tonight what you need to do as we begin this book is just to ask God to give you a little glimpse. Ask him to give you a glimpse of what he's trying to do in you through the difficult circumstance you find yourself in. Or maybe life is great right now, but remember this when it does come up. Ask God to give you a glimpse of what he's trying to do. And don't, don't waste the situation that you're in because maybe, maybe he's trying to really produce something good in you. Maybe that's what he's up to. Uh, maybe he's trying to give you freedom from something that you think you need. Like you've got this thing, whatever this thing is, and you feel like it's slipping through your fingers and, you, and you're, hold, you're trying to grasp onto it and God's trying to get your attention. Man, you don't need that. Whatever that is, you, you don't need it. Maybe he's just trying to strengthen your faith in him, strengthen your perseverance as a believer. Maybe he's trying to humble you. Maybe he's trying to humble you. Maybe, maybe just maybe God's not just out to get you, right? Maybe he actually loves you. Maybe God actually sees more in you than you see in yourself and he's willing to push you to get you there. That's a, that's a good thought about God. Like he loves you so much and sees so much potential in you that he's willing to push. He's willing to allow tough stuff in your life to get you to be the person that he knows you can be. That's a good thing. And as I've been thinking about this, I'm trying to think, when, when can I see that in my own life? And when I first felt like the Lord was leading me into ministry, I've said this before, but I worked with crew at UT Chattanooga. And part of working with crew is that you raise your support from the first year intern to the president of the company, every dollar you make is because you went out and, and raised it. And let me tell you, that is hard. <laughs> that is a difficult thing to raise your whole salary for a year's time. And I, I had to spend a whole summer doing that. And it was not fun. And there were times when I'm going, God, why in the world? Like, I just wanna go to campus and, and meet people and try to introduce them to Jesus. Like, I just wanna do that. Why am I having to go through this? Like, is there not another way we could make our money? Because it can feel like some days you're just kind of beating your head against the wall, hoping somebody calls you with a dollar amount that they wanted to give rather than a, well, we can't do it right now. Man, it can be tough. It can be frustrating. But you know what? At the end of that summer, all my money was raised. And man, I spent more time memorizing scripture and talking to God than I ever had before. Like by a long shot, by a long shot. This, this was this thing that God clearly led me into. Like I'm following God into this situation. Like, God, this is tough. Like, well, why is this the way? And at the end, I can look back and say, man, like I, I, I grew way closer to the Lord than I'd ever been before. Cause I had no choice but to lean on him in that situation. Maybe whatever it is that you're going through right now is just God trying to draw you close. And maybe he misses you. Maybe it's been so long since you've had a close relationship with you that he's willing to do anything to draw you back in, right? Like a day, a day like today for me as a father where I'm gone most of the day, I see my boys very little on these Tuesdays. Man, all I wanna do is go home and hang out with them. I miss them, even when it's just a day where I don't get to see them that much. Man, how long has it been since you spent some time with the Lord? How far away from him have you let your situation drive you? Man, maybe, maybe God's just trying to draw you back in because he wants to be close to you. Would you consider that as a possibility for what you're going through right now? Huh. And listen, Jesus is not asking us to do anything that he hadn't done himself, right? 
We see as he went through his trial, if we can think of it as one trial going to the cross and, and dying on behalf of us for our sins, that's a, that's a trial, right? But he's not asking us to do anything he hasn't done, right? So he goes through this hard thing and we see it recorded in Hebrews chapter 12. It says this, so for the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So Jesus, this gives us such a clear description. Like Jesus sees the joy on the other side of this hard thing. He sees the joy of sitting at the right hand of the father and welcoming you into his presence through what he's going through. And man, he's willing to go through the hard thing. He's willing to find the joy in it and get to the joy on the other side. He's willing to endure so that we can endure. We can follow in his footsteps. If we can trust him with that, then man, you can trust him with whatever it is that you're going through right now. So as we look at just at these first two verses of this book, uh, I would beg you, don't waste your trial. Let's pray together. God, we know that everything that we go through, you want to use it for our good. God, I pray for the person in the room right now who is in a tough spot and, and is questioning you and trying to figure out why in the world this would be happening. Lord, I pray that you would meet them there, that they would be confident that you're still right there beside them, that you haven't left their side. Lord, you, your word says that you walk with us through the valley of the shadow of death, right? Lord, I thank you that you are with us in the midst of the lowest places in life. And I pray, God, that you would help us to shift our perspective God, would you help us to trust you that you do have good plans like we just sang earlier. Lord, you're a good God. And if we can trust you for salvation and for eternal life one day, then Lord, we can trust you with this life right here and right now. And I pray that through your word that you would strengthen that in every single one of us tonight and that we would be able to walk out of here drawing closer to you so that you would draw near to us at the same time. Jesus, we love you. And we pray all these things in your holy name. Amen.